I'm Jim Calloway. And I'm Sharon Nelson. This is the 57th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers in Technology. Today, our topic is how lawyers can avoid bad check frauds. Jim and I are very happy to have as our guest today, Dan Pennington. Dan is the Vice President of Claims Prevention and Stakeholder Relations at the Lawyers Professional Indemnity Company in Ontario. It is the malpractice carrier for all Ontario lawyers. Malpractice coverage is mandatory in Ontario. Dan works to help Ontario lawyers avoid malpractice claims and develop better law practice management habits. He is also our very good friend and frequent colleague on the lecture circuit, so it is a special pleasure to welcome him in this audio reunion. Welcome, Dan. Thanks, Sharon. Good morning, everyone. Great to be here. I trust, uh, as we are good friends, you're only going to throw me easy questions today. <laughs> Nothing but softballs. Let's let's start out by talking about bad check frauds in general. How widespread are these scams? In the last uh, year and a half, LawPro has received almost 2,800 reports of these bad check frauds to our fraud reporting email address, and we'll give that out towards uh, the end of the show. We've got them from every province in Canada, almost every state in the U.S. About 40% of the reports we get are from U.S. lawyers and almost three dozen other countries uh, all over the world. If you look to the show notes, you can see a map that shows the actual count of the frauds reported to us by state and province in North America, and a list of all the different countries we've seen frauds from. That 2,800 number doesn't include the really obvious ones reported to us, the uh, kind of daughter of a recently deceased banking official with $25 million that she needs help to get out of some African uh, country. <laughs> and of course, the number reported to us is a very, very small fraction of the uh, actual attempts. Thousands are being targeted on, on these frauds. And it's not just lawyers, it's also real estates and, uh, sorry, real estate agents and uh, accountants, sometimes separately and sometimes uh, more than one will be involved in the same fraud attempt. I was uh, noting to my colleagues that I just received about 12 of these uh, invitations to get defrauded in my email inbox uh, earlier this week. Could you outline for everybody how these frauds work, Dan? Yes, they are in some form or another a contrived legal matter that will present itself as legitimate work for a lawyer. They all have one simple and very basic goal, set up circumstances to have lawyers run fraudulent certified check or a fraudulent check through their trust account. What happens is the lawyer disperses funds on that bad check, usually by wire to another country. The fraudster gets real money. The lawyer, a few days later, gets a phone call from the bank and they discover they have a shortfall in their trust account. That can be either client monies that has gone missing if it was a mixed trust account, which must be replaced, of course, or if there was uh, limited funds in the trust account, it becomes a personal debt with the bank and certainly the bank will look to have the lawyer to have that repaid. Very scary stuff. I know this happened to a friend of ours, so I'm glad we're educating people about it. I know you said, Dan, that these things usually appear as legitimate legal matters. What type of matters are you seeing? There are several different types. They involve typical legal matters that would occur in almost all the main areas uh, of practice. Indeed, it appears the fraudsters sometimes target specific lawyers 
by area of practice. The amounts look very reasonable, typically two hundred to $400,000. The most common types we see are the following. Probably the most common is the uh, spousal support uh, collection, often further the terms of a so-called collaborative law participation agreement, which you will get a copy of, and it, it looks like some kind of family law agreement where there's, among other things, an agreement to pay spousal support, or there will be some other agreement or even uh, divorce orders or decrees of some form or another. Probably the second most common are general bad debt collections. These can be business loans or personal loans, accounts receivable on commercial uh, transactions. We see general business loan matters. So you're dealing with the client as a borrower and there will be a lender who is of course in cahoots with the fraudster. Inventory purchase loans, there'll be somebody willing to sell equipment to your client. IP license agreement disputes. The most common thing here is collecting unpaid licensing fees. Uh, refunds of a deposit of some form or another. Commonly, these occur on uh, real estate matters or any other type of matter where a deposit has been paid and simply after uh, setting up the deal a few days later, they announce they want to cancel the deal and they would like the refund or the retainer paid. We also see simple situations where a lawyer is retained to do some work, sometimes on a family law matter, we've seen this, and then there'll be a callback a few days later, just after the check has arrived, that uh, the client's reconciled, can you please send the money back, and of course, you can keep something for a fee. These frauds really can be any matter that sets up a payment of some type that is to go through a lawyer's trust account. I'm sure lawyers listen to this think they would never be fooled by one of these frauds, and yet we've all known very good lawyers who have bitten on this. What tools do they use and how far do they go to look so legitimate? Jim, I as well often hear lawyers say, uh, I would never be fooled uh, by one of these frauds, but I've got a fraud education seminar where I, I go out and show lawyers what we are seeing happening on some of these frauds. And I ask at the start and I ask at the end, how many think they would be fooled? And inevitably, a lot more hands go up uh, at, at the end. Thankfully, most are not fooled, but sometimes some are. Lawyers should absolutely never underestimate the determination of these fraudsters to make these matters appear real and uh, legitimate. They will do absolutely everything they can to make the matters look real. They will try to appear to come from a trusted referral source. That could be another local lawyer or a real estate agent. Uh, they will call up that person, ask for, say, a real estate uh, lawyer, and then they will phone up that lawyer and say, oh, so-and-so recommended you. They will provide I client identification, that can be a state or provincial driver's licenses, uh, passports, social security or social insurance numbers, all sorts of other ID cards, citizenship cards, and even powers of attorney where there are other people involved in the transaction. You can see in the show notes samples of the different types of ID that have been provided to lawyers. These will be color scans of documents that you're getting because you're receiving them remotely and they will look very, very real. They will sign any retainer you give them. They will promise to pay a retainer. 
often you'll never get that payment because it's only a few days later that the big check arrives and they just ask you to take your money out of it. But on occasion, they will send a check for a retainer, and that's frequently a bad check uh, as well. They will provide you with extensive background information and documents. You will get any and every document you can expect to get on a legitimate matter, and these documents will look real. They will be in color and have graphics and logos, names of people, serial numbers of equipment. Uh, they, they really will look legitimate. One very important thing to note, the contact information very frequently on the documents that you get will put you in touch with someone who is in cahoots with the fraudster, not someone at the legitimate business entity and they will use legitimate business entity names or the checks will be real financial institutions but the numbers on the checks will put you in touch with somebody who's going to answer like you are talking to the real financial institution but they will be in cahoots with the fraudsters you can see the show notes for samples of some of these agreements there's a full collaboration law participation agreement it's 15 or so pages long has all sorts of different clauses that you would expect to find in such agreement signed in ink by the clients by lawyers of course there's no indication of what jurisdiction those lawyers are in there are also samples of some of the other divorce documents payment agreements a simple i'm sorry i'm paying i owe i pay i owe the spouse this this kind of money promissory notes, loan documents, certificates of share ownership or transfer, and the checks, the fake checks will look real. There are, they are sometimes stolen real instruments, but more often than not, they are fake. They are printed on real check stock, so they will have holographs and embossing and watermarks. They will fool you. They will fool the bank teller. They will fool the bank manager. They will use uh, uh, throwaway cell phones to contact you, sometimes Skype, and they will spoof names and numbers to make it appear that they're in a different location than they probably otherwise are. They will email and call you multiple times over weeks and even months. You can see the show notes for a couple of links to amazing conversations where there were 20 or 30 emails back and forth. While they'll almost always be in a distant location, they will sometimes visit you in person. They will give you information that ties the matter to your jurisdiction. That may be a, a local business that they're trying to uh, collect from or the ex-spouse will supposedly reside in your jurisdiction. We've even seen fake websites of businesses or other law firms set up. Easy way to check on that is to go online and see when the domain names were registered. And again, emphasize that all of the people that you will be dealing with in this transaction, the lenders, the people paying the debt will be in cahoots uh, with, the, with the fraudsters and, and that the documents that you're going to get set all of that up. Well, that's a, that's a very scary picture, Dan, and it kind of paints the fraudster as a boogeyman. Uh, so there's got to be some kind of significant set of red flags that you can look out for. What, what might those be? Uh, you can see a full list of the red flags in the show notes or in our helpful fraud fact sheet, which you can use to give to other lawyers or staff in your office to help find uh, or spot these frauds. Some of these red flags will appear on legitimate matters 
And they are a danger sign, though, when you get several of them occurring on one of these uh, fraud matters. Here are some of the more common ones. The initial contact email will be generically addressed. So dear attorney, and it'll be BCC'd to many people, although we're now seeing more that are directly and personally addressed to the lawyer. The name of the sender email address or the name of the sender will be different in the send or in the from field than in the body of the email. The client may be using an email address from one of the free email services like Gmail or Yahoo, even when the matter is supposedly on behalf of a business. The client contacting you will ask you about conflicts or payment of a retainer, how many regular clients do that. The IP address in the metadata, if you want to check it, of the email will indicate the center is in, sender is in a geographic location that is different from where they claim to be. It will most often be a client that is new to your firm, although in a couple of instances we've seen them come in, do minor work with the firm, and then come back in two or three months later and do the deal that's the fraud. They will usually be in a different jurisdiction. We see more fraud activity in the days or weeks before banking holidays, long weekends. They will say in the email that they prefer to communicate due to time zone differences. If they do provide you with a cell number, it will usually be, sorry, with a phone number, it will usually be a cell number. They will always be in a rush and they will pressure you to do the deal quickly and there will be changing circumstances, medical emergencies, financial emergencies, putting pressure on you to disperse the funds out of your account more quickly. They won't be concerned if shortcuts are taken. We had one matter where the lawyer spent the better part of three days over the course of a week negotiating the terms of a security agreement because he thought the client should have better protection. And the, the client and the other side were pushing him not to worry about changing the terms of, uh, of that agreement. They will be willing to pay higher than usual fees always on a contingent basis from the funds, the bogus funds you are about to receive. Think about it, folks. You're not going to have a regular client be happy paying you twenty dollars or $30,000 on a $250,000 collection that took one letter and a few phone calls. Despite an initial comment sometimes in that setup email that they really need the help of a lawyer to push for payment, the debtor's going to pay you two days later without any hassle. The checks are, that arrive at your office sometimes will come in a very plain envelope without a, a covering letter. You're going to get a payment from an entity that clears up completely unrelated to the matter at hand. An example, why is a travel agency or insurance company paying the amount that's owing on a spousal arrears payment? The payment amounts will change without explanation. The, the client will push you to wire the funds to an offshore account based on changed or, or urgent circumstances. And we've seen everything here from health issues to sick children to I lost my house in the uh, a tsunami, and sometimes the payments will be going off to third parties. Those are some uh, great pointers, Dan. Are there any other tips to avoid being duped? Sure. I guess lawyers should never get let their guard down 
uh, again, never underestimate how uh, how much effort they will put into these frauds, and they are getting more sophisticated. They are getting more uh, real looking as we go forward. Watch for those red flags. If things don't add up, even the smallest things, dig deeper, ask questions, cross-check the info, the contact info and the facts that have been given to you and don't rely just on the documents that were given to you. Go online, use Google, Google Maps and Street View to check addresses. Call the debtor or the lender or the vendor. Add an independently verified number that you get off the web and and make sure that they're aware of what's going on. Very frequently, you're going to be calling somebody at a real business who's probably had other folks contacting them because there's usually multiple people approached uh, on these things. Talk to your bank about the check as best you can. Try to get them to check or verify whether the instrument is legitimate. As a U.S. lawyer, you're more than likely going to get a Canadian check. As a Canadian lawyer, we see people more likely to get the U.S. checks, the reason being it's much harder for them to verify whether the instrument is legitimate. A few things that can go a long way to protect your is collect a retainer and don't commence work until you're sure you have real money in your account. And uh, they will often promise the payment, but that won't uh, come through. And you're going to get a payment from the third party. Don't fall for it. Wait to get a retainer. This is one surefire way to absolutely protect yourself, but it'll 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 never work because they won't comply with the request. Ask the debtor or lender, etc., to write a check directly to your client. You'll be 100% safe as you do this. While they might promise to ask for it, the fraudsters will never do this. Don't disperse the funds until you are 100% sure there's real money in your account. Again, you're likely going to get a foreign instrument. Sit on it for an extended period of time, even if the debtor pressures you to disperse the funds more quickly. And if you tell them initially that you're going to do that, that may help uh, discourage uh, them. In Canada, the only way you can get money into your account irrevocably is via what we call the large value transaction system or LVTS system. That funds that come in wired via LVTS are irrevocable just about anything else can be pulled back days or weeks later. And I know you're going to make comments in a couple minutes on what the banking system is in in the U.S. If you're not sure that it's a legitimate matter, even if there's the slightest hesitation, terminate the retainer. Lastly, to help shut them down, report abuse of an email to the email service provider on Gmail and the other services. There are pages where you can do this. They're going to ask for an email address and the contents of the message to to trace that. But that can help uh, shut them uh, down. Dan, I I know in the States, one of the things that that makes the lawyers uh, sometimes fall for is you can go to the bank in just two or three days and and ask the teller, is this check good? And because of the the rules for quickly clearing checks we have, they will uh, tell you the check's good, and you think, oh, well, the bank's represented, it's good, but that's not the case. Not that oral statement's not something you can rely on. And one thing we tell people to do here is you can go to the bank and ask to send the check for collection. That's a different thing than depositing it, and does require a fee. But when you receive money back that way, you can be assured that it is good. Uh, and, and, of course, our view is you're not going to receive any money back that way. 
Sharon, uh, when you and I went to law school, there were we, we learned about something called the midnight deadline, which would indicate that, you know, in just a few days, uh, you were probably in pretty good shape. But uh, that's just really not the case now, is it? It really is not. And you're indicating how old we are, of course. <laughs> but but you're right that is what we learned and i think many lawyers still remember that also you know you you look on your on your computer screen and you see the money there i mean my, most of us are doing online banking now and so you see the money from that fraudulent check show up and available for dispersal and so you don't think too much about it or at least many lawyers don't and and that's a problem because my understanding from talking to my own banker and from other lawyers who have been involved with these scams is that banks have 30 days in order to declare that a check is no good and remove that money from appearing in your account. Uh, and I wouldn't take my words as authoritative. I would certainly go and check with your own banker. But if that's the case, and I believe it is, then you've got a really long period to hold on to it. But I think all lawyers should be very alert and have their radar fine-tuned for these big checks from people they didn't expect and people in a hurry and all the other red flags that Dan identified. Uh, you know, in a time when the economy is not great for lawyers, the tendency is to think, well, this is great. This is mana from heaven, but it may not be at all. Yes, that's, that's just absolutely true. And I, and I think it's, it's just really scary sometimes how well this works. You know, the, the, the main thing is to understand that the base of this transaction is you're going to receive a check and then there are going to be urgent demands to wire the money out. So if you can at least pay attention to that scenario, it's going to help you. So, so, Dan, where, where can lawyers go for more information on fraud prevention? On our uh, avoidaclaim.com blog, we're posting the names of confirmed fraudsters. So if we see a name a number of times uh, reported to us, we'll post it up there, as well as samples of the different messages and other documents that the fraudsters provide lawyers. And our experience is that uh, lawyers are Googling the names of the fraudsters and finding our resource, or indeed, sometimes there are other uh, websites that have the fraudsters' names on these because again they're very very widespread they're targeting all sorts of people so that's that's a great starting point we have what we call our fraud fact sheet which is kind of a, a basic four-page document that has information on how these frauds work the different types as well as a listing of all the different red flags that i just went over and we encourage lawyers to hand that out to both the lawyers and the staff in their office so they've got a handy little a kind of checklist to go through that will help them uh, spot the frauds. And I encourage lawyers to talk to their staff about it because staff can see and spot things that, that may indicate a problem that a lawyer might otherwise miss or, or, or never see, and that can be a, a life saver. We asked that lawyers targeted on these report suspicious matters to fraudinfo at lawpro.ca, F-R-A-U-D-I-N-F-O, all one word, at L-A-W-P-R-O dot C-A. Now, uh, we want to see the kind of better looking ones. We don't want to see the uh, obvious you know, 25 million out of Africa one I mentioned earlier. We do respect ethics rules insofar as confidentiality. Our experience is once lawyers spend a bit of time looking at the names on our blog or the wording of the messages, because they use the same wording over and over again, that's a pretty surefire way to spot 
the frauds. And once you've determined it is a fraud, there is no lawyer-client relationship there. The ethics rules don't apply. There are no obligations in so far as, as confidentiality. And there is generally more info on these types of frauds at www.practicepro.ca slash fraud, P-R-A-C-T-I-C-E-P-R-O.ca slash fraud. Any closing thoughts, Dan? It's, it's something that uh, everyone's uh, heard before. If something looks too good to be true, folks, it's too good to be true. Again, you're not going to get $20,000 for two or three days uh, work, a couple phone calls and, and emails uh, on, on a matter uh, that's a $400,000 collection or involves a similar amount uh, of money. Don't be blinded by the quick and easy fee that you're going to get and don't let good intentions. I think lawyers want to help people and especially people that appear to be in difficult circumstances. Don't fall for it. Trust your instincts. Dig deeper if things don't add add up, even the smallest things and sit on monies deposited into your trust account until you're absolutely sure the monies are there. That can be weeks or longer Again, tell the client you will be doing this at the start of the matter. That will help sometimes uh, uh, discourage them. And do everything you can to avoid being duped on these frauds. A several hundred thousand dollar shortfall in your trust account will be professionally and personally disastrous. You don't want to put yourself in that situation. Well, I'm sure you have scared the pants off of many of our listeners, Dan. Uh, it, it certainly sounds ominous. But I know you lecture on this topic all the time, so we're really, really lucky to have you uh, as a true expert being with us today. And thank you for sharing your expertise with our listeners. Thanks, Sharon. Great to have an opportunity to get this message out to lawyers and hopefully prevent them from by being duped by one of these frauds. And that's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. <laughs>